I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guest for this episode is Kelly Dolan. Kelly is one of the co-founders of Engage Partners, an IT consulting firm in Cincinnati, and Thrive Impact Sourcing, a company that specializes in IT talent incubation and placement. If you've ever listened to The Distiller before, You've probably heard me at the end of the show invite listeners to suggest people they think should be on the distiller to talk about their search for meaningful work. Well, a few months back, uh, Leif Fairfield reached out to us and said he thought we should talk to his bosses, Kelly Dolan and her business partner and co-founder, Michael Kroger. Michael and Kelly started Engage Partners with the dual idea of not only doing something well, but of doing good. And I don't want to give too much away about their vision and about their story. I'm going to let Kelly tell that. But their commitment to those ideals went beyond platitudes and corporate vision statements down to the very way they structured their companies. Most of our discussions are specifically about the work that people do, the motivation for their work, how they got there. This conversation is a little bit different because we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the structure of these two companies and the reasons Kelly and Michael chose that structure. As you'll hear, those decisions and those distinctions are important, and they come from the heart of who Kelly and Michael are. Michael did have a conflict at the last minute. We hope to talk to both of them, but Kelly was kind enough to show up on her birthday, no less. Kelly and I met on a cold November morning at the Highmark, an easygoing industrial cocktail and craft beer bar that's built inside an 1800s-era house right along the Ohio River in Cincinnati's east side. Andrew and the Highmark staff opened the doors a little early for us, poured some drinks to celebrate Kelly's birthday, and we got down to it. So here is my conversation with Engage Partners and Thrive Impact Sourcing's Kelly Dolan on The Distiller. Cheers, first of all. Kelly, thank you for joining me. It is a blustery, freezing day Mm -hmm. outside, so I don't take it for granted. And so I'm drinking white wine. Well, and a happy birthday. Well, thank you. Well, I thank should you say. Much. Yes. 39 again. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. If only. That's if awesome. only I could be. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was talking about that yesterday. Someone sent me a happy birthday text and um, they said, oh, if only you could be 35 again. I'm like, actually, no. No. No, I'm good. No, no I wouldn't want to go back. No, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, I'm in my I'm 40s. I, I enjoy my 40s. Yeah, I'm good. It's all right. Oh. I would like to, with the with the infant, I would like to have the well, see, I would like to have yeah. the sleep of a twenty five year old or yeah. a twenty nine year old again. Yeah. But otherwise, otherwise life is good. Absolutely yeah. fine. Well, let's start off. I'm really excited about your story because the things doing a little research and learning about your company and um, reading a little bit about you. I think that the things that are dear to your heart are the things that are dear to this podcast. And I'm excited to hear about some of those. But before I prejudice the discussion with any of that, I would like to hear from you as general or specific statement as you want to make about what is it that you that you do for a living? What is your job right now? So I would I usually proclaim to be a social entrepreneur. I don't know okay. if that's that's accurate or not, but that's what I like to proclaim anyway. Fair and enough. the reason I say that is because for me, in order to succeed in business is to also succeed in providing some type of social benefit. Okay. So in that, I, I firmly believe in for-profit models. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in for-profit. There's absolutely a place for nonprofit and Uh, I think they they do tremendous good. But for me, the space that I play is is trying to run for-profit organizations, specifically in the IT space, Mm -hmm. that not only allows people to use their talents at our clients and provide great software solutions and and, uh, provide some real value to our client base, but at the same time, we're doing something greater for the community. Mm -hmm. And that looks like a lot of different things, depending on the business that, that I'm talking about. Uh, but so far, I've started two IT businesses since 2011, mm-hmm. and it's been awesome. It's been an awesome experience. Great. So right now, you are currently, to my knowledge, running two different businesses. Right. Tell us a little bit about those. So Engage Partners started, that was uh, our first business that started back in January of 2011. And so I'm the co-founder of Engage Partners, which is a management and IT consulting company. We provide uh, solutions for companies like Kroger and Fifth Third and some of the larger corporations uh, around the Cincinnati marketplace. Mm -hmm. And providing uh, staffing where they don't have resources to complete the work or solutions where they don't have the ideas uh, to pull things through. And that's kind of where we specialize. And then Thrive Impact Sourcing was started back in January of 2016 mm-hmm. with a different model of trying to be an entry place for new IT professionals. So 
folks that may have kind of lost their way along the line. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they went down a path and didn't enjoy that and, and wanted to shift gears, or maybe they never kind of found their path. And how do they break into an industry that typically demands a four-year degree with co-op experience and, yep. and uh, lots of, of credentials? How do we give those types of opportunities to people that will do really well if given the chance? So is that, uh, it sounds to me like there's a couple of different components there. It's part placement agency and part contracting consulting business. Is it, is it both? Are you primarily placing your own employees, but they remain your employees as contractors? Or, or are you actually trying to place people for long-term hires? Yeah, good question. So with Engage Partners, we are a consulting group. So okay. Companies hire us in for a period of time, and then we move on to our next project. Mm -hmm. So that's how we operate with Engage. So we hire full-time permanent employees to our model that we basically then go partner with our clients and, and help them okay. uh, complete projects. On the Thrive side, we do a little bit of both. We are looking at being an IT talent pipeline for our local marketplace. We're trying to build more IT talent into the ecosystem. And so that looks like we are doing consulting services for sure with our clients. But at the end of the day, if a client looks at one of our newly formed IT professionals and said, hey, I think they'd be a great fit for our organization, that's a win. Right uh, whereas it wouldn't be a win for Engage for, for clients to hire our, yeah. our people away, but with, with Thrive, with new analysts that we're bringing in, it's absolutely a win uh, because it shows that this model is working and it allows the next opportunity for the next person to come through. In fact, it's often contractually prohibited with right, consulting yeah, agencies times, to actually yeah, hire right, their employees full-time. We did not want to put that barrier in place with Thrive. Okay. You described yourself at the outset as a social entrepreneur, not a technology entrepreneur, yeah. which is at the heart of some of what is most interesting to me about what you're doing. But is your, your background is in technology? It is not. Tell us a little bit about your, your <laughs> background uh, and how you got to do what you're funny. doing. Uh, so my background, I graduated with a communications degree. Mm -hmm with specialization in human resources. So I really wanted to be on the business side. I wanted to be uh, in a human resources, kind of building into people capacity. And I literally was the person in college that would cry in the computer lab because technology <laughs> made me so frustrated. So it's just kind of funny that the that's been that my, my career. Yes. So um, I actually married a um, computer scientist. So he graduated the, with a computer science degree. And I always say that I kind of learned through osmosis, um, just being, being married to him. But I started early in my career in that human resources track, but I actually got hired on by an IT consulting company. Okay. And I was recruiting new college graduates from computer science programs into our consulting organization. And after a couple of years of doing that, that company asked me to move to Cincinnati, which is how I ended up here. Where were you before? I was in Columbus. Okay. I grew up in Youngstown, okay. Northeast Ohio. Yep. So I'm an Ohio native. Mm -hmm. But um, Coming to Cincinnati to start a new office for that consulting company is what threw me into sales. Okay. And so I ended up doing business development for about 11 years with that company in Cincinnati, developing the market here. And from there, just kind of had this entrepreneurial bug that I, I needed to, to figure out. And so lots of versions of different businesses that I thought I wanted to start you know, landed me, hey, let's let's leverage what we know. Yeah. And I knew the IT space and that's where we, we went. Now those, those two businesses are interesting enough on their own and we could just talk about those, but of particular interest to me is the structure of those two businesses or at least of engaged partners. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and they're both B Corps. They are. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit, I, I would imagine there are a bunch of listeners who have no idea what that term even means. There's S Corps, there's C Corps, a lot of people never heard of a B Corp. Right, so a, a B Corp, we actually didn't know what it was either until we came across it, which was back in uh, 2010 before we started Engage. And literally it was through a process of just kind of searching what what is it that we wanted to do next with, with our career. And we came upon the B Corp website and looking into that and understanding that they were actually for-profit businesses that just chose to operate differently. So they operate a triple bottom line. So we're all familiar with the bottom line, mm -hmm. right? That's what, what most companies are, are focused on. This idea is a triple bottom line where your focus is a business on profit, people, and planet simultaneously. 
So you're, you're not making a business decision just for the sake of profits. You're factoring in, well, how does that impact our community? How does that impact our employee base, their families, the environment, et cetera? And every B Corp manifests that differently depending on kind of the, the DNA of their business. But for us, it was that framework that we needed to kind of give us the, the idea to launch our business. Mm. Uh, it gave us a community. It gave us a, a framework to say, this is what we want to build. We want to build a socially conscious business mm-hmm. that just operated differently than, than many of what we could see in the marketplace. What, what was the impetus to do something more socially conscious? Was that something that was, did it come out of dissatisfaction of the yeah. work that you'd done before? It totally did, yeah. Uh, both my business partner and I had, for most of our lives, really had a passion for giving back. And it looked like different things, you know, for, for both of us. He went to uh, University of Dayton that has a very philanthropic um, kind of Jesuit background where there's a lot of impact that, that they want you to provide to the community. You know, for me, um, I just had a passion of, of trying to be an advocate for people and to fight for people. And you could see that all the way through my grade school days when I would stand up to the bullies. And, you know, so I just always had that burning desire to, to make sure that, that people were okay. Mm-hmm. And so with with the social entre- entrepreneurship, it, it was coming from a place of, all right, my day job, it's just a day job. Like it's, it's not filling my bucket. It's not filling my passion. I'm losing my passion for it. And even though it's a great job, I'm making great money and I continue to succeed, it just was not filling kind of me spiritually, if you, if you want to you yeah. know, refer to it as that. And we felt, you know, Michael and I both really believe that, that we're built for impact. That's the reason we're here and we're here for a purpose. And uh, through my day job, I wasn't finding my purpose and, and I, I didn't see a pathway to get there. And so to kind of break that mold and really step out in, in faith and kind of leave fear behind to say, I'm going to forge ahead. I'm going to try to figure out what my purpose is and, and go for it. When you first heard about that the concept of the B Corp, I can imagine, because I, I think I heard about it the first time a couple of years ago and was involved with a friend who was uh, starting a business and he had asked me for some input on different types of businesses that could do some good and not have product profit as the sole motive. And I did a little research around that. But I remember thinking, is this, is this even a legitimate thing? Is it? Uh, and there's also, there's a difference, which we can talk about maybe a little bit more later. There's a difference between B Corp and benefit corporations, right. which are not the same thing. One is a legal designation. The other is not. The other is more of a private certification. So if you're nodding your head, maybe just say a little bit about that in case people who've heard of one or the other so that they can understand what we're talking about as a difference. So with our businesses, both Thrive and Engage are certified B Corps, Mm -hmm. which is different than a benefit corporation. So the B Labs is a third party organization. It's a nonprofit Mm -hmm. that uh, they are the ones that certify businesses like ours. And they also do a lot of work in the legislation space to make sure that businesses like us have some type of legal protection Mm -hmm. if we want to continue to honor that long-term in our business. Right. So So the shareholders don't come in and say you're not generating enough profit. So shareholder protection. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for benefit corporations, they have stakeholders and they have shareholders. You need to make them all happy, Mm. right? And you need that legal protection so that if you make a decision, I'm not moving these jobs to Mexico. Right. Um, your shareholders don't sue you, right? Yeah. Because you're not maximizing profit. No, because we're doing this to benefit our employee base. And is that so, laid out in your charter? It's laid out in the charter. However, not every state has legislation around benefit corp status yet. Okay. So Ohio does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually been on the books for years and it just continues to sit there. Uh, places like California and uh, Delaware and, and New York uh, they all have benefit corporation, benefit legislation on the book. So you could actually register as a benefit corp, no different than you can an LOC or an S corp or right, any right. other designation. In Ohio, it's just a certification today. Okay. And what that certification does is it holds us accountable as CEOs, as co-founders to our business to uphold our DNA, which is the triple bottom line. Yeah. And that certifying agency, which is B Labs, is the organization holding us accountable that we're actually doing what we say we're doing. Yeah. So there's not this greenwashing of, well, sort of a stamp I, of approval. I'm going to put on this face and, and really behind the scenes, I'm, yeah. I'm really not living up to what I 
what I market. Yep. And it, it, approximately how many businesses or B Corps or have that, that B Corp stamp of approval today? Do you, do you know? It's an international movement today. Uh, I want to say some 3,000 okay. businesses today wow. uh, across the world. Uh, in fact, you know, interestingly enough, Italy, actually the entire country is designated as a, a benefit corp wow. country. So it's, it's really phenomenal. Um, there's a lot in South America. So there's a huge um, component of B corporations down in South America, hmm. Australia, New Zealand, you name it. I mean, they're, they're spreading all across the world. So Is the United States, where do we fit into that? You know, well, it started in the United States. So okay. uh, for many years, and it's only a 10-year movement. You know, okay. it's, it's not been around that long. But for many years... Uh, United States held majority of the B Corps, but now it's spread internationally. And I'd say we're probably still making up maybe 60, 70 percent in the U.S., but Canada and many other countries are, are definitely right behind us. So uh, what is the mechanism when you start out, when you decide I'm going to start a business and I'm going to, I assume, apply to be approved or certified as a B Corp? What's that process? What do you have to go through? What do you have to prove? So there are a couple of steps. Uh, today, when we first became a B Corp back in 2011, you only had to be in business for six months before you could certify. Now it's a year. But the interim step, businesses could go out and actually take, there's a free B impact assessment. It's called the simple assessment. So you could actually fly through it in probably 30 minutes, 45 minutes, mm -hmm. and just get a feel for how would your business rate right. against these standards of B corporations to get some idea. If you want to go through the full process, it's 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 a challenging process. I mean, they're, they're looking at every aspect of your business. Uh, how do you make policies around your, your people capital, your giving strategy, uh, your environmental policies, et cetera. So they're looking at every facet of your business and you basically come up with a score. So after you complete this assessment, it's all online. If you reach at least an 80 or above, then you're contacted by the B Lab staff and you're basically in, in an auditing call. And people always think, oh my gosh, an auditor's calling me. No, this is like pro you. This is pro your business. Uh -huh. uh, they want to see you succeed. And so it's really talking through each of the sections of the B Impact Assessment to say, hey, you answered this way. Have you thought about this? Hmm. And many times our answer changed for the benefit because we didn't know that that was a good thing that, that we did. That counts. And in other right. ways, we gave ourselves credit where we weren't quite there yet. And so we had to backtrack that. But it was a really very positive experience and incredibly insightful because there's a lot of resources now as B Corps have come along where if you don't have a policy around maternity leave or uh, you know, stay-at-home dads or whatever, you know, those policies have now been written right. and you can borrow these policies from, from that you community of people. Tap into that, yeah. that knowledge base. So on that difference between the B Corp certification and the states that do have the benefit corporation. I assume you can you can be both mm -hmm. if you want to, if you're in a state where the benefit yeah, but corporation- But you don't have to be both, okay. which is kind of interesting. Right. So in the state of California, you could be registered as a benefit corporation legal entity, yep. but not be a certified B Corp. In your experience or in your knowledge, are the standards more or less stringent for the benefit corporation certification, legal certification versus the B Corp? I, I would different? not. I would not call myself an expert in that, since we don't have that in Ohio. I haven't really dug into it. Yep. My inclination is to say that the B Corp certification is probably far more in depth into your business mm -hmm. than the benefit corporation legislative status. Mm -hmm. uh, they're looking to make sure that, that you're honoring, you know, the core principles right. of the B Corp movement. Um, but I'm not sure how in depth they go into your business, like the, the B Impact Assessment would. Maybe yep. they do. I. I don't know. And sure. then once you're certified as a B Corp, what's the ongoing process of, of maintaining that certification? So up until this year, it was every two years, you would have to recertify. Okay. So you went through Same that process. B Corp assessment, the, the B Impact assessment again. And um, now after this year, they're actually going every three years. You'll okay. get recertified every three years. Interesting. And there's, you know, it, it's not just a certification. It's, it's the community and it's what you're standing for. Yep. You know, that's that's really the impact. The certification's a moment in time that you get certified yeah, yeah. and great and you move on. Uh, every year they have an annual retreat for all the B Corps to come together. And we have gone every year since. And it's just, it's a phenomenal community of like-minded business people, yeah. right? That that get it, that get why, why you're doing what you're doing. And you get a lot of inspiring ideas and we bring back policies that we had never thought of. and 
just really, uh, really an interesting opportunity to meet and inter interact with different businesses and to share in that community. So I think that was my other question is what are the, what are the benefits? What have you gotten out of that that you wouldn't, as a well-meaning business owner trying to do right by your employees and have a good social impact, what are the other things that you've gained from that participation? Uh, you, you talked about there's policies and procedures that are already written. You don't have to drum those up your, yourself. Are there, uh, are there business benefits? Have you, uh, have you gotten either hard or soft benefits from being able to say this is the way that we operate? Yeah, I, for sure. There, it's, it's probably benefited us in, in a lot of different ways and some surprising and some maybe expected. The expected piece is we thought that it would be a pretty good recruiting tool. Mm -hmm. So in an IT business where it's really challenging to, to bring IT people in, uh, it has been a difference maker for a lot of people. They, they like the idea that they're going to work for a company that stands for something different than yeah. what they typically see in the marketplace. So that has been, been true for us. Uh, it also has allowed us from a retention standpoint, we build a lot of community impact into our culture. And the B Corporation, that, that, that B Corp status kind of gives us that framework to lay down, right? And, and talk with our employees about that's our DNA, that's who we are, that's what we want to be about. And hold us accountable to that. You know, if you ever see us working and operating in a way that is not in alignment mm -hmm. with what you believe we're stating, call us out on it. Have they done it? They absolutely have, for sure they have. And that, that was really important for us, which is why we went down the path of, of becoming a, a B Corp early on. We wanted to be held accountable. Mm. You know, for us, it, it would be the worst slap in the face as a business owner for someone to say, oh, you're just all talk. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't see it in the way that you work. We can't see it in the way that you hire, how you operate, that, that you're about this. It's all marketing fluff. Right. It, would, it would be like the worst thing that someone could say to us. And so for us, it was really that accountability and us having to be very transparent into how we run and, and what we think about and how we make decisions. Because you're standing on a pedestal and you're saying, we're a different type of business. Yeah. And this is why, and this is what we stand for. So you better believe that we're gonna try to stick as, as humanly possible as we can to, to those limits. Describe what transparency means in that context, because there are a lot of companies that claim yeah. to be transparent up to a point or transparent about the things they're comfortable sharing. You are required to have a certain level of transparency yeah, and accountability for certain Right, we're aspects. required to have a certain level of transparency and, and whether that be, um, you know, we need to have a, a board of directors, um, we need to make sure that our community impacts. So every year we, we um, send out our impact report to all of our clients and our employees and basically literally itemizes the impact that we've made in the community. And a lot of that, it's not a brag book. That's not the purpose of it. It's to be inspiring to others to say, look at the impact that you can make with a handful of people, mm -hmm. right? Look at the tangible impacts that you can make in, in our communities and, and people's lives. Yeah. And so that's another form of transparency. How much money are you donating? Where are you donating it to? Why are you donating it? You know, that type of, of thing. So there's, there's a lot of inherent transparency in that process. Um, we're not we're not transparent where we lay out everyone's salary mm -hmm. and you know I know that there's some companies do that. We believe that that's not necessarily the best use of people's time or, or mindset. Yeah. Uh, so we're not to that extent of transparency for us. It's about how we make business decisions and why we're making them. Yep. I, speaking of salary transparency, I know I don't remember the company. There was a credit card processing company out in Seattle last year that basically had a just basically said everybody makes seventy thousand dollars a year now or whatever it was and there was complete transparency and even the ceo did that and there have been different movements uh there's a company that i've that i've worked for for the last couple of years and we actually did a survey internally and said we would be willing to have complete salary transparency to everybody else do you want it and they overwhelmingly said no and the responses back were i don't have any problem problem with people knowing what I make. I don't want to know what other people make because I don't want it to change how I think about them to make me more competitive or make me resentful, which I found super interesting. Mm -hmm. People weren't, weren't protective of their own information. They wanted to guard their care for their, their colleagues and not think poorly of them, mm -hmm. which was a, a big surprise to me. And, and we found the same thing to be the case. Uh, it was just a couple of years ago that we asked some of our managing consultants to deliver their uh, 
their coachees, so mm-hmm. the people that they're supervising, their coachees' annual salary increase. And there was a lot of pushback to say, I don't want to know their salary. Hmm. Like, I'm their coach, I get it, but I don't need to know how much they make, and I don't need to know how much they're, yeah. they're being increased in pay. And so, really interesting. So, I think, you know, as, as much as we hear about salary transparency, we don't think about kind of all the unattended consequences that might come along with that, yep. right? For good or for bad. So, it's yeah. not a matter of you're trying to hide that you're paying this person so much more than that although that does happen, mm-hmm. you know, you, you hear it all the time. Yeah. It's more the unintended consequences of what does that do and what result is that, does that information have? Yeah, yeah. It seems like there are so many companies that are trying to figure out what the magic formula is right. to do right by people, to still remain profitable, to be socially responsible, to be somehow progressive in their, in their model, and what matters and very often I think companies put a lot of time and effort into things that ultimately don't matter as much as they want them to to employees and forget the things that are that are really meaningful this is one one framework among many that I've heard of but it sounds like it's having a real positive impact what is for the people because you were you were referred to me by one of your employees who reached out to us I say at the end of every podcast if there's somebody that you, you think should be on the show and Leaf reached out and said I I think you should talk to Kelly and I was I was very very happy to he has described the experience of working at Engage Partners as working for a group of friends or working with family he specifically said that the that the atmosphere there is different from anywhere he has worked what do you think from your position are the benefits to employees for working for a B Corp, whether it be Engage Partners uh, or Thrive or, or any other B Corp? You know, it's it's a really interesting question and one that I, I think about all the time because, you know, we have turnover just like everybody does. Mm-hmm. And so when, when someone leaves, you're like, oh my gosh, like where did we fail and where did we go wrong? And you take each one personally, which I think goes back to that family orientation, yeah. like we really do feel like we're all we're all interested in one another. We're all trying to build each other. And so when one leaves, kind of like, oh my gosh, what happened? So, you know, the 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 benefits to being a part of a B Corp, as as I see it, and what I hope people experience, is a very real sense of care hmm. for the individual. Because when you when you break it down, if if, if I care about my community, my community starts at home, it, it rattles then to my workplace where I spend the next amount of time, it goes to my church community, it goes to my friend community, it, it continues to expand out, right? And that's where we want to continue to focus. How do we take care of each other? Because when we take care of each other, we naturally want to go then and send that out, right, into our communities. Yep. And I don't know that we necessarily intentionally went out and said, we're starting a business that each and every person feels like they're cared for. But that really has been the end result. We don't get it right every time. We definitely screw up and we overthink things. And and just like you said a minute ago, there are things that we do that we probably overthought that wasn't really that relevant. We should have just done this. So that, that happens all the time. But the, we have a genuine care for for people's happiness, their well-being, and what's best for them. You know, we'll tell everybody if, if they end up leaving, engage, or thrive, hey, is this the best thing for you and your family? Go for it. Mm. We want that for you. Yeah. Uh, so I think it just starts there. It starts with that that small community and then expands out. And, and the, B Corp, the B Corp mindset, uh, why we believe in it, it, at its core, that's what it is. It's it's caring. Mm-hmm. It's just starting from a place of let's care about each other, right? And then how does that expand out? And how do I care for people through my business? And let's that let, that that continue to have a ripple effect. What in that process has been most challenging for you? Not beating yourself up. I mean, truly, like you know, when you when you start a business and you have this um, bold vision of what it is that you can accomplish and the way that you can impact people's lives and the experience that you want to create for people, um, you know, it, it really becomes kind of extension of you as, as the entrepreneur, as, as the, as the founder. 
And when you see mistakes made, or I should have thought about this and I didn't, or this didn't go that well, and you know people are upset, like it, it has a personal impact, yeah. right? Because it really is an extension of you. So that's probably been the hardest thing is balancing it all. At the end of the day, we still have to run a profitable business. Yeah. We believe in for-profit businesses. So if you're not profitable, forget any golden dreams that you have of doing something great in the community because you, you need to survive, mm-hmm. right? So that has to be a focus, but then how do you balance that with people and how do you balance people with their own interests versus a community interest? So there's just a lot of, of balls in the air that you have to continue to, to play and, and make sure that you're keeping it well balanced. Uh, in my experience of working with companies that are doing anything that sort of breaks from the norm, there's an aspect that crops up that is that anybody who's older than 25 and has been sort of in the professional working world for any length of time has been conditioned to certain behaviors, to certain behaviors around power structures and authority, to certain behaviors around whether you talk about salary or how you get a, how you get a job, how you progress in that job. What aspects, if any, in this process have you had to really overcome your own conditioning? What has been most challenging for you in adopting this model? It's a tough question for me and not to not to cop out of your tough question, uh, but I have worked with some really great companies mm-hmm. that I, I feel super fortunate. In fact, the company that I moved to Cincinnati for for 11 years, I and mean, that's that's really where I, I found a lot of my ideas that mm-hmm. I'm using today. Mm-hmm. It was a very community-focused organization. It was large. It was much larger than what we have today. But the the Cincinnati office that we had, we I'm still doing business or working with those same people that I d- I worked with 20 years ago. Right on. L- literally. Yeah. And so it just it was a really special community. And so you break you start breaking that down like. How did we create that? How did we create this this close community of people that all cared for one another where 20 years later, they're still helping us get into new clients or they're coming on and working side by side us, et cetera. It's just, it's, so I feel really fortunate that I did not have the really poor work experiences that unfortunately so many people have. Mm-hmm. I have had really good, good working environments. Um, I had one, position for a short period of time that I would say was, did not exceed my expectations, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, for that, it was it was more of a misfit. And, and so if anything, when I'm looking today at people that we're bringing in to engage and to thrive, I, I think about, you know, how will they feel here? Is this going to be a place that they truly can become the best versions of themselves? Yeah. And is there anything that, that we're doing as a company that that barricades that success because I did notice some of those things that were barriers for me in that that short employment stint. Yeah. What do you think it is about, uh, and that's amazing, it's wonderful to say that you didn't have the conditioning that you had to overcome. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily representative of the majority of people in the, in the workforce's experience. Right. There are a lot of people out there that want to do business in different ways. And there are a lot of CEOs that want to have a socially responsible, humane business that takes care of people, where people can bring the best parts of themselves to work and feel like they don't have to protect themselves from what the company wants from them, but they can't figure out how to do it and still make money. What insight do you have maybe through the businesses that you've worked with and consulted for, maybe what you've seen secondary to your own experience about American work culture that is different from what you're putting into practice. Think of it this way. If a CEO came to you and said, I want to start, I want to start a business. I've been running businesses for years. My people aren't happy. I lose people. What is the foundational piece that is, that is key for somebody to create a business that truly values individuals? Well, this is, that's a really big question, right? Um, this is going to seem very simple, but it, it definitely is a foundational piece that I think that you can leapfrog from. And that is treat others the way that you want to be treated. Golden rule right? in business. Golden rule. Yeah. And, and when you think about that, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily tie 
uh, a business that wants to be community-minded, a business that wants to be uh, conscious to, well, they may or not be able to be profitable. Mm-hmm. I don't think that those two things are necessarily in conflict with one another. We have found a way to be very yes. profitable for all the years that we've been in business by doing what we do, which is we're trying to do the best that we can with what we've been given. And so for a business owner, you go back to you know basic business 101, what does the market need that you can provide to make money? Okay, so we got that figured out. Now, how do you wanna treat people that it will be building into your business mm-hmm. that will eventually be building into your client base, whatever that is, your, your customers, e-commerce, whatever. And the golden rule really does stand in that. You know, if you if you want to treat people well, then pay them fairly. Mm-hmm. If you want to treat people well, make sure that they have some flexibility in their day so that they can take care of family, so they can kind of, you know, balance as, as, as much as that word is, is hated. I definitely think that there is some opportunity to have balance in your life. Yeah. And that comes from an employer. You know, what are your expectations of, of how your employees are supposed to work and, and supposed to be treated? So I know that it's, it's not super profound, but in a way it is kind of profound at the same time. If you think about every business decision that you're going to make today, and if you say in advance of that decision, how will this make that person feel? How will this cascade into their family life? How will this cascade into the team that they're working on? What what might you do differently? Uh, I don't know if it's a if it's a a movement. I I feel like there was a nascent movement a few years ago. There certainly was a was a company called uh, uh, Not Just for Profit. Um, there was a Not Just for Profit movement and not just for profit.org sort of a, a society. And I, I feel like that idea that profit is not evil, but profit above everything, profit at all costs mm-hmm. is what makes us do some of these things. Absolutely. Have there been decisions that you have had to make as a business owner where you've consciously said, we can do this and maximize profit, or we can do this and actually take care of our people? Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, it, it comes down to, uh, you know, even a simple one that we're going through right now is healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, healthcare costs continues to skyrocket, right? Yep. And, you know, we could very easily say, well, gosh, we'll just pass this on to our employees and that way we'll save money over here. Well, is that really the right thing to do? You know, is that is that really showing them that we're, we're honoring them and, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're 50-50 in this relationship? Yeah. And so that that's, a, that's an easy one. Um, when you think through like opportunities, you know, we, we try as a consulting organization, we're not together every day, mm-hmm. like you would be, you know, working for you yep. know, some other company. And so for us, bringing people together on a frequent basis is really important to continue building that culture. And it's very easy to say, well, gosh, it's, it would be a lot better for our bottom line if they would just be billable more. Yeah. And let's forego that get together so they could just be billable at the client site. But no, that's, that's not that's not building into our, our team. That's not, that's not honoring, you know, who we say that we are. Mm-hmm. And so we'll take a hit for that. And no, don't build for this day. You're coming, to, we're coming together and we're gonna build into you. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's little things every day that you're, you're making decisions on. And, you know, there are so also other decisions where, you know, we've had, we had to make a really rough decision a couple years ago with Thrive, actually not a couple years ago, a year ago with Thrive, where we were really struggling um, because we lost a big client. Mm. And it was a last thing in the entire world that we wanted to part ways with people. But if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to take care of the other 60 people that, that were left behind, yeah. right? Um, so you still are forced to make very tough decisions but you, you have to constantly use that lens. Are my intentions in the right place? Is this all about profit because I want more money in my pocket? Mm-hmm. Or is it profit because we're trying to take care of the entire family, right? Yeah. Of, of people that we have made a commitment to. Yeah. Is recruiting different for you than for what we might consider a typical company? I think so. Because when we're recruiting people, we're looking for not only their their technical skill set and their ability to really walk into our clients and, and help them solve technology problems, but at the same time that they're community minded, that they get it, yeah. they get what we're about. So 
you know, that's that's kind of a tall order. IT in particular is a very difficult industry to recruit in. Mm-hmm. And then you're layering all these other things that you want on top of it. And yeah, it's 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 challenging, but it's worth it. You know, because the the first time and we've done this, you know, we've we've been tempted and we said, Oh my gosh, this guy has such great credentials, like he's gonna be awesome at the client site. And you saw through the interview process, he did not get our model. Mm. He didn't get why we built in the community. He didn't understand it. He didn't appreciate it but he had the tech skills. And so we made the mistake and we made the hire and it didn't work out, yeah. you know, and, and so it ends up catching up with you eventually. Uh, do you have a model? Do you have a particular recruiting model? I've worked with, with nonprofits and for-profit businesses a lot around their recruiting models and specifically some nonprofits have said, we are looking for a different person. We have to recruit and hire in a different way and creating a process that actually takes somebody through something that's different from you're going to talk to a recruiter. They're going to set up a meeting for you with with four people. They're going to make a recommendation. You're either going to get the job or you're not. Do you do something that is fundamentally different in terms of how to identify that quality that you're looking for in a person? Well, we we like to re- rely on more inflor- employee referrals than mm-hmm. anything else mm-hmm. because that's that's awesome, right? Yeah. So if you have your employees that are vouching for someone coming in the door. Um, that speaks volumes. And typically we are able to uh, win that person into our organization, keep them around longer because they already have relationships, et cetera. So that's kind of the nirvana. When we do recruit outside, I mean, I I think our process is probably similar to a lot of companies. They end up meeting a handful of people. Uh, The questions and the conversations probably different. Yeah. So the, the conversation's more about, you know, what is it that, that you're looking for in, in a company, in a culture? You know, what impact are you trying to make in the community? And how do you think we can help you achieve that? And, you know, so there, it's, it's a different line of questioning. We still have to have the technical interview. We still have to understand, you know, how they fit into the yeah. team. But there's this whole other part of the conversation that focuses around our core DNA to make sure that, that it's, it's a good fit. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier the transparency and accountability and not mm-hmm. wanting to just brag on your accomplishments, but I kind of do want to give you the opportunity to actually say what uh, both Engage and Thrive are doing in the community in terms of, because I know that your people have volunteer hours that they can yeah. give. I know that you donate financially and not just in time. Talk a little bit about the impact that both of those companies have been able to make as a result of operating in this way with these priorities? With Engage, when we set out, and, and that was our, our first business, we went into it with the mindset of we wanted to give professionals, IT professionals, an opportunity to get back in the community. So the first step that we took was providing everybody paid volunteer time off, mm-hmm. and that is pay above and beyond their salary to actually go out and be the hands and feet of the community and, and get involved. And so that's that was one way for us to put our money be, behind our, our, our words, right? Yep. And really encourage people down that path. The other piece of that then is how do we use our talents? So as IT professionals, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that need technical support, mm-hmm. applications built, software uh, configured, et cetera, that we can provide on a pro bono basis. So that's another core uh, uh, group of hours that, that we spend on a yearly basis. And then we have other things where we want employees engaged in the process of building into nonprofits. So we, we started something a few years ago, ago called the Social Impact Fund, which is uh, 50% funded by dollars matched that employees give. So employees donate their paid volunteer time off mm-hmm. pay yep. to this fund. We match it by um, mm-hmm. 50%. And then we choose a nonprofit to give those monies to each year, as well as pro bono hours. So that gives an opportunity for the employees to really feel tied into impacting a particular nonprofit that's working on a project and at the same time using their talents to, to feed into that nonprofit as well. So that has been kind of the, the mainstay of Engage and you know we've donated tens of thousands of dollars and even more hours, you know, in, in both volunteer time and pro bono time. So that's been really impactful. On the Thrive side, the the impetus between behind Thrive three years ago was we've always measured our impact in terms of dollars given, hours donated, nonprofits touched. Mm-hmm. We want to now focus on how do we transform lives? How do we tangibly transform a life right in front of our eyes, mm-hmm. right? And that that idea came in the form of 
looking for an untapped talent pool that we believe exists in our community and communities across the country. People that may have uh, gone through some college, maybe a couple years of college, or maybe they graduated with a degree and you know they just didn't find their way to their, their career uh, position. Tapping into the uh, group of people that today are living in poverty and they're not able to make a sustainable wage that provides for their family. How do we find those individuals that have the aptitude to step into entry-level IT jobs and give them an opportunity to make it? And so that's what Thrive became. And so from day one, we have tracked coming into Thrive, what was the family income Hmm. coming into Thrive. Oh, wow. Where were they 12 months later? Yep. And when you look at, uh, we, the last benchmark we did was on 35 people, and that was after a 12-month period of time. Uh, when they had come into Thrive before employment, they were making about a $10,000 uh, annual income for their family. Mm-hmm. And the average family was three, size, size of three, so living on 10 grand. And after 12 months of employment, they were now making with benefits, et cetera, they were making close to $50,000. So wow. transformational yeah. for a family. And that $50,000 mark was really critical. That was a benchmark for us for success, that we, we get people there because that is the sustainable family income for a family of three yeah. in, in Cincinnati. And so it was really important for us to try to figure out how do we get there. What's, what's even you know, as interesting as, as that is when you look at the economic benefits from a community impact standpoint, the people that were on public assistance mm-hmm. coming into their, their employment and after 12 months being nearly 100% off of all public assistance. Yeah. When you see that flip of now it's tax dollars, new tax dollars into the economy, as well as savings from social services programs. It was a half a million dollars on 35 people. That's incredible. So, you know- And immediate, but also long-term. I mean, generational impact. Generational impact. And and granted, uh, I, I would say, there's, there's definitely a percentage of people that we have that came from generational poverty situations mm-hmm. and um, you know really tough situations that they were able to come through and this is the first time they've been able to support a family like this. Yeah. And it will have impacts for generations to come. Yeah. Other folks, they, they did not come from generational poverty, what, what we call more situational poverty. Mm-hmm. There is a health crisis, there was a job loss, there was you know, lots of different circumstances that, that come through that they just lost their way yeah. and they needed an opportunity to try to find their way back. And the success stories that we've had, we could write books on. It's, it's absolutely the most inspiring work we've, we've done. So, I mean, your, your episode I think 27 uh, of these conversations. And I've talked to multiple people who are running very successful nonprofits. And this language that you're using right now is nonprofit language. It's not for-profit business language. It's certainly not corporation language. You said earlier that you're a firm believer in the for-profit model. Mm -hmm. And I don't hear you denigrating nonprofits at all, but why are you such a believer that this should, at least for your venture, take place in a nonprofit model or in a for-profit model? When I think about, so I, I, I'm on the board of um, a handful of nonprofits, and so I understand kind of how they operate and, and um, just in a constant state of fundraising, yeah. right? And it's burdensome, it's, it's tough. It's, I, I don't envy the people that are, are leading you know, some of those organizations. I think it's just really hard work. And they do amazing things. They have amazing impacts on such little resources. Yeah. So the reason I'm a firm believer in the for-profit model is look at the resources we have accessible in the for-profit space. We have financial, we have human capital, mm-hmm. we have banking. You know, we, we, have, we have people that want to be here from Harvard, from, you know, the, the resources we have are tremendous. If every business just used a, a light lens to say, how do I want, how do I want to be treated, and that's how I'm going to treat everybody else? Yeah. Imagine the transformation that we would have on a global scale, right? Yeah. Imagine it. So that's why I feel like with for-profit organizations, we've been given a lot, right? We've been given a lot of um, limelight. We've been given a lot of opportunities. 
there's just a lot in that space, a lot of respect that's given to to corporations and nonprofits. It's just it's always this churn of I need to get my next United Way funding. Mm-hmm. I need to get that next dollar donation. I need and trying to do and, and move the needle and and some do such amazing things and it's, it's so commendable. But they have to work together. We need for profit and we need nonprofit yeah. and we need government. Not any one will solve the problem, but if we could leverage the the golden resources we have as for-profit entities to try to do some good, like real good, mm-hmm. not like marketing good. I'm not going to call out the big corporate name that that sends out you know the marketing messages, the commercials of how good they are to communities when they're definitely not. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to say that name. Um, like actual do good. Like yeah. imagine the transformation that we could have. Why is that? This is a this is a question beyond your work. Why is that message of just treat people like you want to be treated in a corporate environment anathema to most of our corporate culture? I'll, I'll tell you why I believe that that to be the case, and it was a um, it was a harsh reality when we first started Engage. <clears throat> we had an opportunity to go and present our business model in front of a. Um, a very well-respected panel of people in Cincinnati. And the idea was we would present our business model to this panel of people, and it was about 40 people in the room, and they would give us feedback on our business model, right? And we would take that feedback and we'd go make our business better. And so we rolled out, and and we were early on, it was literally month four of Engage, so we really didn't know our kind of sales pitch. So we went in and we talked to them about how we wanted to be this different type of business. We wanted to do uh, management and IT consultant. We wanted to do it differently and give back to the community and be philanthropic, donate 25% of our profits, et cetera. And the leader of this 40 person panel said to us, you know what? A long, long time ago, a very wise man told me, you can either struggle your entire life to move the needle just a little bit in a social way so basically a nonprofit kind of social minded way, or you could go big business and you could be super profitable and you could do really well and hire lots of people. And in your golden days, you could go use all those profits (laughs) and all that knowledge that you gained and go give back and do something good. Like, holy cow, you completely missed the entire point of our business model. So we went back from that and we redid it all and we're like, okay, we're going bold. Like we're going bigger, the message has to be bigger. Um, Because they totally, totally did not get it. They thought that you were basically just wanting to struggle along as a nonprofit. That 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 we'd never amount to anything. We would never, we could never be profitable. Like we're gonna spend all this time trying to do social good and we're never gonna amount to anything. Why don't you just go try to be profitable and try to be a for-profit business? And then in your retirement days, go back and do some good. Because, you know, so because that was the they're message. all doing that so much because all and those like, millionaires are giving so we're much like, away. We're like, dude, no, you're supposed to do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. at the same time. So um, that was really, uh, it was deflating in the moment, but it gave us just really bold courage after that to say, no, you could be both. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna show you how we're gonna be both. And that really was kind of our, our song. That was, that was seven years ago. Yeah. Do you still get those looks? I mean, you, no. you're very, very successful now. The, both businesses are multi-million dollars, very successful mm-hmm. businesses, employing a lot of people. Yeah. What, what happens now when you go into a room with a group of CEOs, which I would imagine you do fairly regularly, and talk about your approach? Are they intrigued? Are they, are they just baffled? They're, they're definitely intrigued. And I, I think that we get more of a, just because we have had some momentum behind us now, and we've had, as I mentioned before, a lot of opportunities to, to present ourselves in the marketplace, a lot of awards and accolades and all kinds of things. And so I think that that gives you a platform, right, that, that people believe in. So I think now when we go in and we, we talk to organizations, uh, there's much more of a buzz, even nationally, right? There's more of a buzz now of companies trying to be more socially minded. Yeah. Whether it's authentic or inauthentic, there's a lot of buzz around it because mm-hmm. Uh, people believe that that's what millennials want and that's what the consumer base wants. And, and so that's why I say it's a little bit authentic and a little bit inauthentic. Uh, so I think now we, we don't get those, those looks anymore. We don't, we don't have the conversations with people that say, oh, that was just ridiculous. Uh, now it's like, wow, 
that's really awesome You're that you guys doing are doing it. that. Do you have people coming to you asking for for help, for consulting oh, yeah. on, on how to do B Corp specifically? You know, not, not consulting. We'd love that, actually. Um, maybe that's a, an act two for us. Uh, we, we have a lot of conversations with employers talking about transforming employees, mm-hmm. uh, upskilling employees. There's a lot of conversation that we have around that. But from a B Corp standpoint, I think it's, you know, bigger businesses have a harder time understanding, like, how would, how would that ever be able to be for me, it, it totally could be. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a little bit more distant conversation. Uh, I think more of the, the upskilling and more of the community impact that we're having, we definitely have, have talked with clients, big and small, yeah. about how, how could they start something like that. I th- we moved past uh, your description of Thrive's business model, and I think it's, it's worth revisiting because the idea that your business model would be making a social impact, not only in terms of the business you're doing, but who you're employing and how you're employing people is a fundamental shift in how you make a difference. You've done something similar uh, also with Engage, and I don't know all of the details, but it's not only a B Corp, but you recently transitioned into an ESOP. Yes. Where now you're, you're uh, for people that don't, it's employees uh, stock option program. Mm-hmm. So the employees of that company now own the company. You've given them yeah. a stake in the profits of the business. Right. Further commitment to making life better for the people that work for you. Was that a difficult decision at all? What was the what was the process of transitioning that business into an ESOP? Yeah, becoming a becoming ESOP was something that we always had on our radar. Uh, we had heard a lot about it through the years, especially around the B Corp community, because there are a number of, of B Corps that are also ESOPs. The idea that 100% of your employees, they own the business, they're shareholders of the business. And the idea that it's not just filling the, the original founder's pockets, right, the profits, it's, it's actually now a benefit to everybody. So that, that idea had always been in the back of our mind. Honestly, we didn't know a lot about it. We had a lot of misnomers along the way that we thought, well, gosh, I mean, how would you have 90 people making every business decision? And, you know, right. so there was a lot of, of misinformation that we had, which is definitely not the case. And it really is, you know, instead of buying P&G stock and, and investing your retirement in P&G stock, your stock is basically the company that you're working with, which is engaged and you're a shareholder. Uh, of just a few, you know, within the company. So it uh, it became clear to us a couple years ago that we were about the size that would be able to tolerate the, the steep cost of becoming an ESOP. Mm-hmm. And we were about the right size that we didn't expect to triple or quadruple in size. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this period of time seemed right for us. And so we moved forward with it. Uh, it was actually last summer that we started the process and then we became an ESOP in April okay. of this year. How has that changed, or has it changed? Uh, you know, uh, I would imagine that you that you hope to see this huge increase in investment from people in their time and and uh, general accountability from people on the ground. It sounds like you had already cultivated that to a very high degree. So, did you really notice any difference? You know, we I, I'm not sure that we did a great job cultivating it over the years. Like it was a conversation between Michael and myself as as founders of the business, but we didn't really talk about that as as an idea necessarily uh, throughout the years. So, you know, with any change, change is new, change is strange. What do I do with this new information? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's been a learning journey. Um, we don't expect that it's really going to click until someone sees their first shareholder statement, right? right. Which won't be until April 19. Okay. Um, so right now we're kind of just through that learning journey yeah. of, well, what is an ESOP? What's my role now? What does it look like? Why is it different, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just kind of in that that stage now. Uh, we do believe that it will bring more commitment. It'll bring more sense of ownership where employees will start acting as owners, not just employees of the business. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll take over multiple years. Yeah. yeah. It seems to me like when I when I read a lot of discussions online about um, about ways to empower people, ways to have a greater impact, a lot of what you hear is structural changes, management uh, hierarchy changes, flat organizational structures, Zappos, holacracy, um, doing away with. Hierarchy, and I and I have worked and work for companies that are that are doing things like that. This doesn't sound necessarily like that. It doesn't sound like you've done a, a bunch of 
internal rejiggering about reporting structures, it sounds like your decisions were more fundamental in terms of, obviously we talked about B Corp is not a legal entity, but it's a certification, that you really went to the root of the business and laid some groundwork there. Talk a little bit about, about that differentiation. Are, are people managed in traditional ways? What do you feel is the, is, uh, the most important or do those play together in terms of, of uh, organizing status and structure? Yeah, it's, it, <clears throat> with, with our consulting model, it's a fairly flat organization uh, just by nature of, of being a consulting model. Uh, we do have we do have a structure in place that people understand who's making decisions based on which facet of the business. So that it's not just like alphabet soup, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have some structure around that and trying. This has been an evolution over the last probably three three or four years of trying to form leaders at every level of the organization, even though we have few levels. Mm-hmm. How do you become a leader when you're only a two-year experienced person? How do you become a leader when you're only an eight-year experienced person, et cetera? Uh, because there's lots of ways that we lead, right? We lead every day in lots of ways. You don't have to have a C title mm-hmm. to be considered a leader. So how do, we, how do we give people opportunities to lead uh, at every facet of the organization? That might be leading small teams that try to do a process improvement project for the project. It could be coaching relationships. So there's a lot of coaching relationships that we have as, as an organization. Um, so, you know, we, we look traditional in some ways where we have a, you know, CEO and we have the financial, you know, CFO controller thing and we've got directors and, but, it's still a fairly flat organization that we want as many people that are six month employees to speak up and tell us what we need to be doing different mm-hmm. than we do the 16 year people that have been there, done that through yeah. multiple organizations. We need everyone to have a voice. And that's one thing that we're hoping the ESOP provides is yeah. that each individual person feels like a true owner and not that you get to make every decision for the business because sometimes you're not equipped to make every decision for the business. No different than I'm not equipped to tell you how to write your code. Not at all, trust (laughs) me. Uh, So we all have our our swim lanes, but how do we give everybody a voice to say, you know what, I think that we could be doing this better Mm. or we're kind of falling short here. You know, this is awesome, keep doing this and I think we could do do it even better. Well, this is fascinating for me. I, I feel like we could talk about this forever because the intricacies of how you run an organization in this way, how you get that buy-in and get people to speak up is on the ground is what I have found to be difficult. You can put a whole, whole lot of things in place structurally, but if people don't speak up, yep. what do you, you can lead a horse to water. Absolutely. So and, it, and it is dif- difficult and we don't get it right every time and not everybody speaks up. And, um, you know, it's just a constant journey of how do you continue to refine that? And, you know, I, I think at the, the essence of it is trust, hmm. right? And, and sometimes we get the trust thing right. And sometimes unintentionally we get the trust thing wrong. And, you know, for, for me to speak up as a two year person or as a six month person, I have to kind of feel like, the source that I'm going to is a trusted source and it's not going to be backlash. I'm not going to have my you know, career wiped out because of something negative I might say. And so that whole culture of trust building is really important. And you know, sometimes we get that really right and sometimes we don't. And we have to learn from that and continue to move on. Obviously, uh, you and Michael are fairly unique people in terms of the, the initial impetus to do this overall. Uh, maybe this is a good question to end on, and it seems like an interview question, so like a job oh interview boy. question. So I apologize for that. I haven't that. done that in twenty years, right? So but if it I might be rusty. If I asked the people that work for you what you are really great at as a leader, hmm. like what do you think they would tell me? I would probably say, and Leaf could tell you, so you could ask Leaf this. He, he's, we'll ask him afterwards. Spot here. Um, I would say probably listening. That I'm, I'm a fairly decent listener, and um, I really care about what you're going to tell me. And I'm going to care even more about how I'm going to help you through that to, to the next step to, to try to get that fixed. So um, that's probably the, the biggest thing that I would say people, uh, people would say about me. Yeah, well, that's not a small thing. Yeah. 
It's a good one. Well, it's been a pleasure listening to you telling us about well, thank you. your ventures. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I yeah, it. On this frozen day, I appreciate you uh, coming and celebrating your birthday with I us. I know. And we'll be, uh, we will link for everybody that's listening to uh, Engage Partners website, to Thrive's website, to more information about B Corp. So if you want any of that information, go to our website. And certainly if you're looking for IT consulting services. Definitely ring me up. There you go. Thank yeah. you so much, Kelly. Thank really you. appreciate it. Appreciate it. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at the Highmark, an industrial cocktail and craft beer bar located at 3229 Riverside Drive in Cincinnati's historic East End. Stop by the Highmark and say hi to Andrew and the crew. It's one of those places that's equally welcoming whether you want to watch a game with a crowd or find a cozy corner for a quiet conversation like we did. Really a great place. And they couldn't have been better hosts. Check out their website. Uh, we will link to them and their social media pages at thedistillerpodcast.com. And you can learn more. And of course, tell them you heard about it on The Distiller if you stop by. And huge thanks to Kelly Dolan for spending a bit of her birthday with us, especially on such a blustery day. One of the things that Kelly didn't tell us that we found out after the episode is that she had recently been named as one of the Cincinnati Inquirer's 2018 Women of the Year. So congratulations to Kelly. And it was a pleasure to get to speak with her about Engage Partners and Thrive Impact Sourcing. You can learn more about both of those companies on our website, where we link not only to their websites, but also to the website of B Labs, the independent company that certifies B Corps, and find out exactly what's needed. If you're thinking about becoming a B Corp or just looking for more information on what it means, maybe you're looking for work at an organization with defined priorities like those Kelly spoke about with us. So check it all out at thedistillerpodcast.com. And thanks again to Lee Fairfield, Distiller Podcast listener and Engage Partners well, I was going to say employee, but since they're an ESOP, he's a part owner of the company. So there you go. And remember, if you have an idea for someone you think should be on the distiller to talk about their search for meaningful work, drop us a line. You can message us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can email us at mail at the distillerpodcast.com. And there's even a contact form on the website. So please do let us know. This episode marks the end of our first year of shows. Just over a year ago, I sat down at a coffee shop in Cincinnati with my friend Justin Golden to talk about what we were both doing in our lives that was meaningful. I asked Justin at the time, if you knew everything you know about me except what I do for a living, what would you say I do? And he did answer that question, but he also said, here's what I want you to do. And out of that conversation, the distiller was born. I want to say a deep and sincere thanks to Justin and to my co-producer, Terry Heist, without whom the show would not exist. And I also want to thank the many people who've helped us out along the way, including Rich Hordinsky at Monastery Studios for the occasional microphone loan when we have more guests than gear, Scott Ryan and Mike Helm for logos and videos and general encouragement, to all the guests who've been on the show and been so generous with their stories in this first year, and to the restaurateurs, coffee shop, and bar owners who've let us come in, set up, and have these conversations in their spaces. And finally, to those of you who've listened and enjoyed the conversations along the way, it's a privilege for me to be able to speak to these people about something as important as the work they do, and it's an honor to know people are listening as we do it. So thank you. Here's to more of these in year two. We're already lining up a pretty great guest list to get the year started. Don't forget, you can find and subscribe to The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you're doing, spread the word. You can follow, like, and share our posts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And uh, you can listen and download every episode of The Distiller and find information including links, photos of the guests, and a map of all the show locations. And get in touch with us, of course, at thedistillerpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Brandon Dawson. Thanks for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.